0: Hey, Kareem Sirajuddin here, founder of Nude Human Consulting. The Coffee with Kareem podcast aims to provide Muslims and people of all backgrounds a space to share their life gifts, meet dynamic guests, and enhance the human experience one cup of coffee at a time. Sit back and sip. Episode 14, Potentializing Prayer. Welcome to another episode of Coffee with Kareem Today I'd like to discuss some tips and uh, reflections on how to improve our daily Salah Now obviously Salah is a very important part of any serious Muslim's uh, spiritual path and journey I think for a lot of people Salah becomes this thing of a ritual that I have to fulfill It's a you know religious obligation this construct in many people's minds that I've observed and certainly have had myself of I have to pray. It's usually associated commonly with uh, something I have to do. The problem with this though is it becomes like every other burdensome task or chore or obligation that we have in our daily lives. So the purpose of today's show is I want to try to help people reconceptualize and re relate, if you will, to this beautiful phenomena of the Sola in our wonderful deen. So we all have to do a lot of things. And I'll just use a simple example. If you apply for a job and you get a contract and it stipulates the job description, according to your boss, the CEO, the, the you know, the company, you're obligated and you have to do those things that are in your job description and contract, don't you? Now, whether or not you do them is up to you once you get the job. Now, obviously, if you show up for a new job and after a month you're actually not fulfilling any of the obligatory action items that you were supposed to do, then you're probably not going to be there, right, for much longer. You're going to get fired. They're going to say, see you later. If you take the job and you fulfill all the things that you have to do and you also do it well, then you're going to have a higher likelihood of succeeding in that company or that job, right? And more importantly, if you really love what you're doing at your job, not only are you going to fulfill the obligations, but you're actually going to enjoy it and benefit from it in other ways as well, like get energy and feel innovative and creative and feel it's inspired and so on and so forth versus just doing things because you have to because you just want to get a paycheck. Similarly, many people approach the salah in a similar fashion Uh, i have to do this so islam says i have to do it so i'm just going to do it so i can just get that quote unquote golden ticket to jannah because i'm fulfilling my obligations right but that's not really how anybody would want an employee to work at their company or their business or their restaurant would they so yes islamically speaking you have to pray because you have signed this contract when you became muslim so to speak Right, But existentially speaking You actually don't have to pray Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't need My prayer or your prayer or anyone else's That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says Allahus samad In kulhu allahu ahad Allahus samad Lam yalid wa lam yulid Allahus samad means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is self-sufficient He is the one that everyone And everything else needs of Him But He is in no need of anything Or anyone else so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually doesn't need your prayer, but you're the one that needs it. So why are we thinking about prayer as something that I have to do? Yeah, you have to do from a religiously, you know, legal standpoint, right? But that doesn't take you far. Just like you can say, I have to do all these things for my job, but I hate it, and I don't understand why I'm doing it. You're not going to probably prosper in that company. In Surah al which is chapter 51, Verse 56, Allah tells us, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ And I did not create the jinn and humankind except to worship me. That's the verse that many people quote. But the following verse says, Ma أُرِيدُ مِنْهُم مِّنْ رِزْقٍ وَمَا أُرِيدُ أَن يُتْعِمُونَ But I, Allah says, I do not want from them any provision nor, or sustenance, nor do I want them to feed me. Interesting. Why would God say that? I do not want from them any provision, nor do I want them to feed me. And then in verse 58, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues, In huwa ar Indeed, it is Allah who is the continual provider and the one who possesses invincible power or strength. Subhanallah. It's like, okay, I hire you. And I tell you, these are your job obligations. And if you do it, great, that's good for you. You're going to keep a job. You might even move up, become more successful. And if you don't do it, um, that's okay. I can hire somebody else. I really don't need you. You know, you doing your job at my company is not going to make or break whether or not my company exists, so to speak. And again, this is just an analogy. But the point here is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, you're here to do this, to worship, to know me, to love me above anything else, even yourselves. And if you don't do it, I'm not asking you to feed me. I don't need you to do this for me. I'm the one who has invincible power and I'm the one who provides everything and sustains everything in the first place. So if you do this, this is for you. It's in benefit for you. So we have to change our perspective on this cognitive construct of, I have to pray. I have to do the laundry. I got to get home on time. I have that phone call to make, and I have to pray. It's like another chore that we stick into the day, right? No, don't look at it like that. And I want everyone to start trying this. When it's time to pray, don't think I have to. Think I want to, and I need to. Why? Because just the way we talk about prayer in our own heads is going to influence our moods and our presence in the salah now i get it that it's going to take time for somebody to want to pray or to need to pray some of us think about prayer as just a religious obligation that we have to fulfill and we're doing it so we can get that paycheck right or we're doing it to get that ticket to paradise so to speak okay but imagine approaching salah as something that you're doing out of genuine love and adoration and connectivity. So think about it like this. Think about your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a love relationship, the divine love, so to speak. And I want you to reflect on this parallel uh, framework or sequence that I want to give. I have found in all my couples' work that there's a lot of interesting parables Between a romantic relationship And our relationship to Allah ﷻ. And I know some of you might be cringing Or thinking what, what is he talking about But hear me out okay? When a person loves somebody And I'm going to speak from a man's perspective Because that's what I am If I love a woman How am I going to confirm or validate My love to a woman Ultimately the woman is expecting me To want to marry her Right, and the way that I verify or formalize my love and say, "Listen, I want to take this to the next level, or I'm serious about devotional and committed to you. What does a man need to do? He needs to propose right, so think about the proposal to the woman that you love and and sisters out there you know uh, think about this analogy in your own terms, you know this applies to you in the same way. Think about the proposal as. This is the shahada. The shahada is the first pillar of Islam. Shahada means to bear witness and to testify to the truth of Allah's reality and that his Prophet spoke the truth about him as a reality and what we're supposed to do here. The proposal is like the shahada because when I propose to a woman that I love, I am bearing witness and testifying to the truth that you are the woman I love and I want to spend the rest of my life with and I want to commit my life to you and be in service to you. That's really what it means. So if the shahada is like the proposal when it comes to your salah, this is your first step of acknowledging and validating and witnessing your love and devotion to God above all else just like when you propose to a woman or you marry a man this is the man or the woman that you validate and testify and commit to above any other man or woman for that purpose now think about now the wudu when you wash yourself with water before the prayer think about this almost like the engagement process and the engagement is basically the prep phase for the marriage which represents the ultimate union and and binding of these two individuals. So engagement is like wudu in that now that I've testified to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and this is something we should do every day, right? We do say the shahada every day in prayer, and we we should do it otherwise. The wudu is like engagement because I am now preparing myself for the union that I'm about to step into with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala during the salah and the wudu is a primer for your prayer and usually the way you make wudu is connected to the way you're going to pray so with wudu think about water water is this beautiful element it's a magical element actually allah says all things came from this we're 70 percent plus of this so is the earth it's what cleans things. It's what we need to survive. You can't live without water for more than a few days and so on and so forth. It is a very priceless and magical element. It's something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, He sends from the heavens, from the skies. And if He didn't, we'd all be dead. There would be no animals, no vegetation, nothing. So it's no shocker that wudu is an intrinsic part of the salah. Right? And in times when you don't, have, uh, you don't have water, you use the earth for tiambum. So you have two beautiful elements um, which by the way human beings are made of earth and water which is clay together. So those are the two things that you also use to prepare yourself for the salah. Subhanallah. So the wudu has to be a a wonderful preparing phase. Take your time with the wudu. Many of us we rush it. We, We got the sink on on full blast. We're splashing and making a mess everywhere. How is that feeling tranquil? When you're just making this big mess and wasting water. No. Please, when you turn on the faucet to make wudu or for any matter, turn it on to the minimum gauge. Most of us turn it on to 10. Put it on 2 or 3 just have enough water coming down that you can use to make wudu and I guarantee you the experience of making wudu with that small amount of water is going to feel more quote unquote spiritual because you're showing how precious this element is you bring in the sanctity to the wudu when you have this conscious effort and you use a small amount of water and you really are present with what this element actually entails and implies it's both physical and metaphysical value So this is the engagement phase And then the actual salah Is a means of connecting to the divine The salah is a connector And it's also the quote-unquote marriage moment Or this moment of union and intertwining your consciousness Your being, your ego And surrendering and submitting and unifying it to The ultimate supreme reality Which is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Now I want to keep going with this um, love relationship analogy Because I think there's a lot of powerful gems here People, you know, ask me a lot You know, it's hard to pray on time It's hard to be present when I pray And I say, you know, I get all that stuff You know, life life happens and people get busy But then I bring up some other points I say, listen You know, praying on time is not always easy But neither is being on work on time But most of us are at work on time, aren't we? Because if we weren't, then we wouldn't have a job Most of us, if we have a doctor's appointment, a dentist, a job interview, you know, a college fair, something important, and we're serious about it because we know the benefit, we're going to be on time, aren't we? So when it comes to a lot of things in life, mashallah, we can be good and be on time, right? But when it comes to prayer, we have all these other reasons why we couldn't be on time. Subhanallah. On people that say, well, I pray, but I don't get all my prayers in. Okay? If you're, again, in a loving relationship, you love your husband, you love your wife, and this person text messages you and calls you several times a day, and you ignore them, how is that person going to feel by the end of the day? They're probably going to feel uncared for, neglected, disrespected, And at the end of the night, you might call them back and say, oh, honey, I had so much work to do. Sorry, I I didn't get back to you. Um, But, you know, I'll make it up to you. We can talk now for an hour or I'm heading home or whatever it is, right? Even though you may have an excuse, it still hurt the person that you ignored all of their messages and their communication. And certainly if the person does it day after day, day after day, day after day, this is going to be unacceptable, you're, you're not going to buy it anymore. Like every single day I call you or text message you, you completely ignore me. Uh, this isn't a relationship that I want to be in. So now think about our relationship with Allah Subhanahu ta'ala. Allah ta'ala invites you to communicate with him, to connect with him, to talk to him, to message him five times a day. And we're telling him, I'm too busy for you. Again, God doesn't need it. It doesn't necessarily hurt God's feelings, so to speak, right? But you are doing a disrespectful service to, to yourself and, of course, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah saying, I created you. I gave you life. I gave you consciousness. I, in fact, provided every single thing in your existence that's keeping you distracted from me. And all I'm, all I'm commanding you to do or calling you to do is take five daily breaks for a few minutes, and reconnect and plug in to what ultimately matters. You can't do that. If you can't do that, then it means you're not really in love with this person. If every time your wife calls you and texts you or your fiancé and you just ignore them because you'd rather keep watching Netflix or talking with your buddy or playing basketball or whatever it is that you do, then you don't really love that person that much because they're not a priority, they're not important. So if we don't seek knowledge and enhance our love of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in ways that will bring us close, then of course your salah is always going to be suboptimal. Of course your salah is not going to be a priority. You're always going to push it aside or say, oh it's okay, I'll just do all five at night or whatever it is. So we have to ask ourselves, if I am in a divine loving relationship and I really love Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I want to love and serve and adore Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then prayer is not going to be a chore and it's not going to be something you feel like you have to do anymore. It's going to be something you want to do, something that you need to do because you don't feel complete unless you connect and experience this daily union with God. And subhanAllah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so generous. He says He created us to worship Him and yet He gave us 24 hours of the day And if you really add up how much time we spend doing our prayers, like let's just be conservative. Let's say five minutes per prayer, right? Including we'll do even, right? We're spending 30 minutes, 25 minutes a day worshiping God. And the other 23 hours of the day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not commanding you to be in direct worship of Him, right? You can be in worship of Allah in other ways. We know this. Anything can be a worship. But the actual performance of the the connection the salat allah subhanahu taala is only asking 30 to 45 minutes of your time and he gives you everything so your wife your husband who works so hard and provides and takes care of you and nourishes you and protects you in all the ways that husbands and wives do imagine if you always ignored them when you come home you never pick up the phone when you when they call you you ignore their text messages nobody would accept that Nobody would say, oh this relationship is going great So what about our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Think about that So the shahada is like the proposal The wudu is like the engagement The salah is like the marriage In other words, the union, the intertwining Of your consciousness, your soul, your heart and your body With the ultimate presence that gave you everything that you have This is how we can start to feel That I want to pray And I need to pray Not I have to pray Because it's another obligation It's another task It's another chore I gotta do This is the first step To inshallah Helping us improve With our salah Number two step That I wanna share is Brothers and sisters Take some deep breaths Before you you pray Make prayer not just a religious rite that you're fulfilling. Make it an actual self-care process. Take some deep breaths before you say the takbir. Sit down in the place of worship before you pray and give a minute or two to clear your mind of all that chatter. I mean, we all know that some of us, when we start praying, and I'm, I've am i certainly felt this before, like by the time you get to the third or fourth raqa, it's like you started feeling it. You started being present. And you're like, ah, oh, subhanAllah, like now i'm starting to tap into what i'm actually doing right and then you feel like you only really got presence of one rakah so in order to you know diminish this or lessen this frequency take that 30 to 60 seconds before your prayer take some deep breaths make some ethkar or just sit in silence right then step up and and start the takbir and pray because that way you'll be more present from the beginning than when you just go right into it after turning off the TV or rinsing your mouth after eating dinner, right? So taking that time to breathe and clear your mind of some of that chatter will keep you present. And by the way, a lot of the chatter that comes up during your salah, those are the things of your ego that need to be checked because they're taking the space and taking the place of your focus with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, which means that somewhere in your mind and heart, those things are, at least in those moments, more important to you than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself. And this is not the point of, right Wal Insa abudun, right? To worship Allah is to love and adore and serve Him above all else. Just like if I say, I worship the ground you walk on, it means I love that person so much. Or I love um, Michael Jordan so much. Right? Nobody thinks I'm, I'm going to be prostrating to this person. But it means I'm just, I really love the guy. I'm obsessed with the guy. I know all about him. I love to be in accordance with him. I love to wear his clothes and this and that. This is what we mean by worship and love. So this of course takes time to love Allah in this way. But it's something that's attainable. And the salah is one of the best places to start nourishing this attitude and this perspective. So breathing, having that stillness. And once you start the prayer, point three, visualize. Point three is visualize. And what I mean by that is your mind's going to be thinking about a bunch of things sometimes. So why don't you force it to visualize something that's actually going to anchor you in the presence of your salah with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because again, this is the one you're supposed to love, this is the one you're in this divine relationship with, just like if someone you love is talking to you in person or on the phone, you're going to pay attention and really try to understand what's going on in this engagement, aren't you? So visualize, what I like to do is I like to visualize myself, almost like there's this bird's eye view and the camera lens is like going up above me, and then I see myself in my home, and then I see my home on my neighborhood, and then I see my neighborhood in my, you know, state, and then I expand out and see the planet, and how I'm on this continent, and then I'm on this planet, and then I expand out and see space as a, as where I am in this galaxy, on this planet Earth, in the Milky Way, and that keeps going and going, and all of a sudden, I really feel what Allahu Akbar means, that even beyond all the space and galaxies and visualizations that I know from pictures and videos and things I've seen about the universe and then beyond that we don't know what's there and what we do know according to the Quran is that there's more universes than the one we're in and we don't even know where it starts and where it ends and where it even is, there's no idea, we have no idea where we are. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is still above and beyond and nothing like any of it. And that's the one I'm trying to talk to right now. That's the one I'm about to prostrate and put my head on the floor for right now. That is Allahu Akbar. So when I visualize that personally, it helps me really get grounded and anchored in what I'm doing. And then the breathing must continue. You breathe while you're reciting the Qur'an. That's why the science of tajweed, there's a lot of breath and pronunciation, that techniques that have to be implemented to pronounce the Qur'an properly. So breathing during the prayer is very important because it keeps you in your body. It helps circulate that mental energy from staying stuck in your head and coming down into the heart, into the chest, into the body, into the rest of your organs and limbs. And this is why the prayer has movements as well, bodily movements, because it's about reintegration of mind, body, and soul. So taking deep breaths during the rukua, during the bowing, making sure you get a good stretch in, making sure you do a perfect sajda as best as you can, and taking deep breaths while you're in sajda. Really making it almost like a a yoga practice, if you will, Right? Not just a meditative practice, but also a practice which is about unification, which is exactly what yoga means in Sanskrit. It's about unifying. And the salah is is exactly what it's aimed to do as well. So taking deep breaths, visualizing. And the next tip I would want to share is, we have to know what we're saying. We have to know what we're saying. If you don't know how to translate the Fatiha, or you don't know what Subh'ana Rabbi Al-A'la is, and you don't have a way to translate that meaning in a way that makes not just knowing what it says like people like yeah i know what it means it means like you know praise be to the lord and this. no no no. but it's about not just knowing what it means but also knowing how to make meaning of it for yourself so for instance many of us know the fatiha and believe it or not um Many of us can't even translate the Fatiha. This is something I've tested with many different Muslims. They're good people and everything, but it's like, you know, they talk about sometimes, oh, I'm having faith, doubts, and I don't know if I have Iman or my prayers and do anything. I said, brother or sister, translate the Fatiha for me. And most of the time, they don't know how to. So you can't blame the prayer or the deen or whatever it is if you don't even know what you're saying. You might as well be reciting Mandarin or Greek. If you don't even know what the Fatiha means And more importantly A simple English uh, translation Isn't what I'm talking about I'm talking about really knowing What the words mean In a deeper sense And why the Fatiha And all the surahs are special And what are the special nuances And, and gems that you can take away Simple example We say Ihdina sirat in al-fatihah. Now I ask people Oh translate that brother. Oh that's an easy one brother Guide us to the straight path yeah, mashallah, that's that's uh, one way of understanding it. But why does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say Ihdina Ihdina as Sirat, not ihdina Lil Sirat or fi-sirat?" Why didn't Allah say to the path or on the path? He just says guide us the path. That's how you'd literally translate it. Ihdina as Sirat. Because As Sirat includes guide me to it, guide me on it, and guide me as I go along the way. But you won't know that if you don't take an Arabic course or study a little more about what the Fatiha means. You just think, oh, guide me to the path. But it doesn't mean just guide me to the path. Why do we say, إِيَّا كَنْ wa وَإِيَّا كَنْ اسْتَعِينَ إِيَّا You alone do we worship and serve and adore. وَإِيَّا كَنْ اسْتَعِينَ And you alone do we depend on for all things. Well, as we said earlier, ibadah is a comprehensive term. Doesn't worshipping somebody And loving somebody And serving somebody It could also mean I have this You know Almost like a codependency Like I can't live without you I love you so much Right I know brothers mashallah, They love their wives so much it's Like I wouldn't know What I would do without her If she left or died Or something I wouldn't know What to do with myself You know I depend on her so much Right This is included In the word worship And we say إِيَّا كَنْ And then the next verse We say وَإِيَّا كَنْ Even though istiana Dependence is included in the concept of ibadah. But yet, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us to say this and then that. Why? For emphasis. To show that you're not in control. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who's ultimately in control. That's why we're Muslimin. We're surrendered. Because we're not in control. Therefore, Allah, you're the only one I can really depend on. Right? Not just I. you're the only one I worship and love and serve, but including with that is also I have to depend on you and then Allah makes us say it again because to bring this point home and by the way, a lot of anxiety and stress and depression is caused because humans have the disease of wanting to control everything all the time. But if you understand this, these two verses, you recognize, oh wait, that's not the point. I'm not supposed to be in control all the time. I'm not supposed to have know everything that's going to happen and everything will go the way I want all the time everywhere. No, that's not isti'ana on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Is it? And that's not worship. Just knowing the nice English translation, which is a great start, by the way, but it's not the same thing as having a deeper, significant, meaningful connection to what you're reciting in the Quran. So if you don't understand what you're saying, this is a very important key to unlocking the potential of your salah. And last point I want to make is when you're in sajda, Sajdah is the closest time you can be to God. It's the most humble position you can put yourself in acknowledging who you are and who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. Many of us, you know, we know that we're taught Rabbi Al Ala, we're supposed to say Rabbi Al Ala three times, right? And then that's it. No, 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 no. After you guys say Rabbi Al Ala, sit there for another 30 seconds, take some deep breaths, and start talking to God free talk therapy with god you never need an appointment he takes all insurance he's always going to listen and he always responds and the way allah responds isn't by talking to you directly right because you're not a prophet but allah communicates to us through the events and people in our lives he manifests His decisions and His answers through things as they unfold for us in our day to day lives or our weekly lives or whatever it is. That's how Allah communicates with us. And He does. And He does. He does communicate to us. But it's through the creation. And it's through the events and experiences that we have. And the closer you are to God and more connected and clear you are, the easier you'll be able to know when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing you the signs or communicating. So, to summarize, think about your salah as not a chore that you have to do because of some religious obligation, but think about it also as it's something that you want and need. And the only way you're going to want and need it is if you get to a place of understanding your divine relationship with all of the same analogies of what does it mean to show commitment, dedication, love, adoration, service, and dependency to a man or a woman that you love in your human lives. Because a lot of those principles apply. You can't expect to love God a lot if you don't know much about Him or His creation. That's why you have to seek knowledge. That's why you have to understand not only your deen, but understand how the world and reality works around you because that increases your Iman. You can't tell me you love Johnny or you love Michelle And then I ask you, why do you love Michelle? And you're like, I don't know. I don't know. She's cute. I'm like, come on, man. You can't marry Michelle because she's cute. Well, what else do you love about her? I don't know. She's, um, you know, she's nice. Come on, dude. Nobody's going to be convinced of that. But if you say, oh, my mashallah, Michelle, she is this and that and all this, these qualities and that, and I love the way she smiles and blah, blah. blah, and And oh, mashallah, I love John so much. He's like this and like that. Obviously a person who's in love with somebody is going to have a lot of good things to say about that person's attributes and traits, aren't they? So if you don't understand Allah's names and attributes, which is a good place to start, if you don't understand the Qur'an that you recite or know anything beyond and الناس, don't expect the depth of your spirituality and consciousness to be any deeper than what you know. The contours of your knowledge shapes the boundaries of your spirituality. Think about it like that. So if we take this position of that loving relationship to the divine and approach it the same way we would courting somebody that we love or want to get married to and engage with, it's the same thing. You can't expect a lasting, loving marriage or relationship if you never talk to the person, you ignore all of their communication, all their guidance, all their feedback, right? You can't expect that marriage to go far. So you can't expect your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to go far if you do the same thing when it comes to your deen and your responsibilities as a human being who has gifted life from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I hope this was helpful and beneficial. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala increase us and um, make our salah truly what it is meant to be. And remember, it takes time. It's okay if you don't get it. You know, it's not like after this podcast, everything's going to change for you, right? But no, just take some of this feedback, make it your own, and start implementing some of these tools and techniques to help you make your prayer, inshallah, a little sweeter and unlock that spiritual potential that each and every one of us were created and meant to have. Catch you next time on Coffee with Kareem. Karim Sirajuddin here. Thank you for tuning in. Please visit nurhuman.com to learn more about how I provide personal spiritual and relationship counsel and growth. Don't forget to visit coffeewithkareem.com to see the latest news and updates about this podcast. Please generously help sponsor the show to keep on going at Patreon.com slash Coffee with Kareem. That's Patreon.com slash Coffee with Kareem.